1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Be reading your hearing starting at verse 4, and we'll read down through verse 7. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We'll stop our reading there. As we come to this section of Scripture, again, we are reminded that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives should be marked by love. But the question comes is, what is love? What is this which the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth about? How is it seen in the life of the believer? The word that Paul uses here, that word love, agape, has little to do with emotions, but indicates to us that which is deliberate, a a deliberate act of the will. So instead of giving his readers a formal definition of what love is, Paul sets before them how genuine love is expressed in the life of a believer. We have been looking at these things together for several weeks now. And I say without apology that we've sort of sat here, I believe, for our own good. Could we have taken one or two messages and gone through all of these things? We could have. But I believe that we need to sit and consider what these things tell us one by one for our good so that we will love each other as we ought, and so that we will love those around us as we ought. And so we began by considering love is patient. With that, we were reminded that endures much from others without retaliation. Love is kind. That is, it gives much without without expectation. Love is not jealous. It looks at the success of others without resentment or bitter feelings. And love does not brag and is not arrogant. It places others first without selfish motives. 
And how often since we began this study have we found ourselves dealing with individuals, whether here within this community or out there in society, where we've been reminded of the importance of showing love to other people. At least for me, these things come to mind. I told my wife one day this week, far too often as I deal with individuals, of all things, my car needed work on this past week. You try to find a mechanic. It's not an easy task anymore. So I had certain ones to say, we could get your car in Friday afternoon. I'm thinking, that's too late. I'm not going to be leaving this week. Let's, let's try to get someplace else. And I found something. Somebody said, okay, we'll get your car in Thursday. I said, okay, I'll do it. I get there Thursday. 11 o'clock, right on time. And he says, do you plan to leave your car? And I said, no. You look at it. See what's wrong. If it's going to be more than four or five hours, then I'll leave it. But otherwise, he said, well... You may want to leave it. To which I said, why? Because I'm not sure we'll get to it today. What about my 11 o'clock appointment? Well, we had a, a man who's called off work for the last three days, and, and so we're running behind. And everything within me was like, you couldn't call me? He's been missing for three days. You couldn't call me and say, listen, bring it in later. You, why did I make this appointment? If, if In my job, if I make an appointment, I'll see you at 12. If, if, if I call you and say, meet me in my office, but I may not be there until tomorrow at 12. Hope you understand. It doesn't work. And, and that was rising up within me. <laughs> I hope I'm not disappointing some of you and your pastor, but it was there. But of all things, I was just that morning before 11 o'clock looking at this passage and reading, love does not act unbecomingly. And that just kept echoing in my head. So I took a deep breath. Call me when it's ready. The next day I called them at 11 o'clock. The next day at 1 o'clock, 20, 25, 26 hours later. How's it going on my car? We haven't got it in yet. Took another deep breath. All right, just let me know when you got it fixed. Whew, made it through. Cars fixed. But it just was a reminder to me of how we need to put these things into practice. And so we come this morning to this love does not act unbecomingly. In other words, love treats others with respect and dignity without focusing upon ourselves. It treats others with respect and dignity without focusing upon ourselves. So, so as we come to this, this next character of love, 
I want to do so under three headings. First of all, the term described. I was going to say the term defined, but Paul really doesn't define terms. He, he gives us terms that are, describes what love is. So we will consider the term described, and then secondly, the term displayed, and then finally, the f- term deterred. So first of all, the term described. As, as we come to this term, it needs some explanation. It, it's not a term that we often use. does not behave itself unseemingly is how the King James translates it. The English Standard Bible says, is not rude. The New King James says, does not behave rudely. Again, the New American Standard says, is, does, does, not, behave, does not act unbecomingly. It's a term that has a broad meaning. The idea is to behave in an ugly, indecent, unseemingly, and unbecoming manner. The term is used to speak of an act in defiance of social and moral standards. It means acting in a way that brings disgrace, embarrassment, and shame. It's to act improperly. Disgracefully. Dishonorably. Get the sense of the word? What it means? Linsky, in his commentary, writes, When pride puffs up the heart, unseemingly bearing and conduct naturally follows. Tactlessness, forgetting its own place, and fails to accord to other their proper due of respect, honor, or consideration. Love is forgetful of self, and thoughtful towards others. It's forgetful for self and thoughtful towards others. The, the only other time that this term is used in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 7 in verse 36. We read these words, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the context and what's exactly being said, but it says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and he has to be, let him marry. It is no sin. So so the thought is, here's a, a couple that are engaged And the man fears that he might act inappropriately towards the one he's betrothed to. Then he ought to marry, if his passions are high, he ought to marry. And it is not sin for him to do so. And then behave properly with this young lady. 
to not marry and act inappropriately towards the young lady unbecomingly is sin. So here, not behaving properly means to defy moral standards, to act disgracefully, to behave improperly. And what Paul is saying is, as believers who ought to genuinely love, we ought to behave ourselves not in an ugly, indecent, unseemingly, unbecoming manner. In speech, in conduct, and in appearance. We can engage in conduct that is indecent, or improper with our speech, saying things we ought not to say, speaking of others that we ought not to say, talking without thinking, our speech, our conduct. We can behave in a way that's not right. My natural instinct the other day was to do just that. I wanted to tell this man what I thought of the fact that at 11 o'clock I had an appointment and he's not going to see my car then? But what good would have that done? I mean, he's not going to... Oh, you're Mr. Walden. We forgot. By all means, we'll take all the other cars out and bring yours in. That's not going to happen. Or even in our appearance... We can be inappropriate in our appearance. What people think of us when they see how we dress. And how, what does how we dress say about us? Several years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. And the congressman invited me to his office and I had the opportunity to sit as he met with some lobbyist in his office who was trying to get his endorsement for whatever they were working on. And then I got a private tour of the Capitol by one of his aides. And then I went with the congressman to a committee meeting which I sat there and listened to them rail on somebody who wasn't doing their job right. And then at the end of the day, I got to go to the House of Representatives and listen to Congress people make speeches. And I sat up in the gallery as all this was going on. What was interesting was before I went, I got a phone call from the congressman's office. And the phone call said, when you come, Wear a coat and tie. Why? Because that was the norm. That was the standard if you were going to be in the halls of Congress to have a coat and tie on. Can you imagine if I would have shown, shown up with my sandals and Bermuda shorts and a tank top? First of all, they'd say, cover yourself up. But secondly, they would say, that's not good decorum. This is the halls of Congress. We don't dress like that. That's improper behavior. 
And that's what Paul's calling the believers to. To, to live properly. To conduct your speech and your conduct and your appearance in a way that is proper. We ought never to behave in an ugly, undecent, unseemingly, unbecoming manner. We ought to work hard at doing things properly and appropriately to the glory of our God. Love takes other people into consideration. Any action or conduct which violates love by contradicting or otherwise undermining faith and godliness and edification and unity is shameful and is inherently wrong. This calls us as believers to treat others with respect, with compassion, and with consideration. So there's the term described. Now notice, secondly with me, the term displayed. Do we see unbecoming behavior in the Word of God? Well, we do. I mean, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And there was certainly the the manifestation of inappropriate and improper behavior there in the church. There, There was contention between the brethren, we read about it in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. There was rudeness found in the problem of women in worship in 1 Corinthians 11. There was unbecoming behavior when it came time to eat at the Lord's table. There were some who were drunk. And there were others who walked away hungry. With regard to the general organization of worship, there was unseeming behavior, according to 1 Corinthians 14. We see this behavior displayed even within the church of Jesus Christ. But I want you to go someplace else with me. Go over... It was interesting as I was studying this this week, this passage of Scripture came again and again in various ones who have written on this idea of doing things inappropriately or improperly. Luke chapter 7. Turn over to Luke chapter 7 with me. It's a a familiar narrative. It is a familiar event that we find ourselves looking at here in this chapter. In verse 36, we are told about a Pharisee who's invited Christ to come for a meal to his home. Verse 36, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him and to enter the Pharisee's house and recline at his table. And we're told that Christ accepted that invitation. The Pharisee is identified in verse 40 as a man by the name of Simon. And then we're told what happened as they were eating. And as 
there was a woman, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, in all likelihood a, a prostitute of some type. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. And she kept wiping them with her hair on her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume." Here's a sinful woman weeping and wiping the feet of Jesus and, and placing perfume on his feet. What, what a sweet picture. This behavior, I would say, was becoming. It was very gracious on her part. In fact, we could say this. This woman did everything that, that Simon should have done. When, when someone were to enter your house during these days, you were to greet him with a, with a kiss. You were to wash his feet, the dusty roads that he's been walking on. You, you were to wash his feet and, and, and seek to refresh him, perhaps with some perfume or some type of ointment. And that's exactly what this woman does. But notice, we read verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him. She is a sinner. So Simon's thinking to himself, if this guy is who he claims to be, then why is he allowing this woman to touch him and do these things to her? And, and notice, Jesus answered him, which is an amazing thing. Why? Because it doesn't say the Pharisee said anything, does it? He was just thinking. This was in his mind. But Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon tells him to speak. And then what Christ says, starting in verse 41, A moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 and when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, have not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, 
For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See what he's saying? I mean, that's something we don't usually consider as we read through this passage. But he says at the end of the day, this woman knows how to love. And that's demonstrated by her proper behavior when she came to the house. I, I would imagine he could say to Simon, Simon, you say you love, but you never kiss me. You never wipe my feet. You never tried to bring delight and comfort and bringing perfume and anointing my head. You didn't act properly. This woman has demonstrating genuine love by her proper behavior. Genuine love displayed. Something we might overlook, and I did, even... As I kept reading it, I kept thinking, what, what, what's the point of this and not acting unbecomingly until it hit me? This woman behaved well. She immediately res- responds in a way in which Simon did not. He probably would have met this woman and at least was thinking about this woman in an unkind, harsh, and brash, crude way. And our Lord protects her because she has genuine love. And it's displayed in her actions. So how does my, here's the question, how does my behavior affect others, even in little things? How does my appearance affect others? How how does my speech affect others? If there's genuine love, it will be proper, appropriate, not ugly, harsh, and crude response to what's going on around me. Genuine love behaves well conducts itself well. It, it, it is not like sandpaper. You, you ever meet somebody whose behavior and conduct and speech is like sandpaper, sandpaper? You know what I mean by that, right? You sort of bristle at it. It hurts. Dear people, Paul's telling us if our theology is correct, but we're void of good behavior, appropriate, proper behavior, then our theology is worthless. 
And I've met enough theological giants, so-called, who behave in an embarrassing way, the way they talk about other people. We can, we, we can be happy, we can be thankful for our theology. We are a 1689 church. And, 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 and you may have to cut my hand off to get me to release the 1689 Confession. But if we hold to those things and behave in a rude, improper, harsh, crude, crass manner, what we have is absolutely worthless. It's not me what the Word of God says. I'm a coward. You know? If I, if I just made up that statement, I'd be running. But it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Love does not behave itself unbecomingly. And there may be those who would say, Pastor, this is church. Let's stick to deep theology. Outward conduct isn't all that important. To which I say, tell the Apostle Paul, argue with him, okay? I didn't write this. I've got a set of Calvin. Uh, I got a set of commentaries called Calvin's Commentaries that some people think I wrote, but I didn't. But but I didn't write this. Love does not behave itself unseemingly, improperly. And so conduct does matter. So then, thirdly, I want you to consider with me. This term or the term deterred. How do we stay away from becoming unbecoming as we live in this world? And I have three or four things I want to set before you. First way in which we conduct ourselves properly is to profess the dignity and the worth of every man. To realize the dignity and the worth of every man. From the very beginning, we learn that it is God who created man. And how He created man, we're told in the first chapter of Genesis. Man was made in the image of God. And therefore, every man was stamped by God to be like Him. That, that gives man dignity. 
That gives man value. That gives every human being dignity. Sinclair Ferguson says, if we forget who God is, we will forget who we are. And when man gets disconnected from God, he stops respecting and loving God and his fellow man. When we become disconnected from God, we stop respecting and loving God and other human beings. I mean, look at Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, we read these words, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They, they were rude towards God. They acted improperly towards God. Even though they knew God, they acted inappropriately towards God. And then at the very end of Romans chapter 1, we read the same thing takes place on a horizontal level. We read, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to those things which are not proper. And then what does he do? He begins to list all these improper behaviors. He mentions things like greed, envy, malice, gossips, unrighteousness. You see, when, when man becomes disconnected from God, they treat God inappropriately, and by and by, they will treat one another inappropriately. They will forget who God is, and they will forget who man is. That every man has a dignity about him because he's made in the image of God. So, so when you say something against someone by way of slander or gossip, you're, 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 you're marring the image of God. And that's improper behavior. When we de degrade and disgrace one another, we are forgetting who we are. And genuine love does not do that. It behaves properly and appropriately. The second thing I would say, not only do we need to profess the dignity and worth of every man, but secondly, we need to pray for grace to so conduct our lives to attract others to our Savior. We need to pray for the grace to so live and conduct our lives to attract others to the Savior. The, the Apostle Paul, if, if you've read through his epistles, he, he's constantly concerned about the conduct of the believers. Do you notice that? In, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says to them, 
praying that praying they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all as, in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Paul praises that they have wisdom and and that they have understanding and and taking the things of God and applying it to their own lives it will have an effect upon their their walk, their conduct, their behavior, so that others may see Christ in them. Remember, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you know why? Because they they walk like Christ. And therefore, they they came up with this name. We'll call them Christians, Christ-like, because of the way they lived. And that was Paul's concern. He wanted to see a people whose lives would attract others to the gospel that we profess. Does my life attract others to my Savior? How I conduct myself, what I do, what I say, how I look, does it attract others to Christ? And if I genuinely love others, I want them to know Christ. So my behavior has an effect on making the gospel attractive. I know, don't tell me, that men will only come to Christ by the work of the Spirit in their heart and life, awakening them to their need of a Savior. But on a human, on a human level, our lives can attract others to the gospel, even to the end that Peter would say, be ready to ask, answer those who ask of the hope that lies within you. Why would they ask? You think if I simply walk around with my Bible, somebody's going to say, what, what is it about your life? No, it's how I, it's how I treat my wife. It's how, it's how I treat my children. Others will take note of that conduct. And either they'll be attracted to the gospel, or as oftentimes someone would say this, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with that. Have you seen the way that woman speaks about her husband? What a shame. And they go around and they talk about their, their Christian faith. I want nothing to do with that. I have an older brother who it's very difficult to talk to him about the things of Christ because we grew up in a home where we were in church every Sunday and we talked Christianity, but in the home our lives were completely different. And he would say, if that's Christianity, I'll live my life the way I live it. What effect does my behavior have upon the advancement of the kingdom of God? Someone has said, our lives by His grace should reflect positively upon God. People should walk always 
people should walk away from having observed us saying, my goodness, what an incredible God he or she believes in. People should walk away from us saying, wow, what an incredible God they have. Our aim isn't to invoke from them praise and admiration of who we are, but praise and admiration of of who He is. Jesus, the cross, the gospel of salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, is worthy of our lives. People walk away and think more highly of our God when they see how we live our lives. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Romans chapter 13 and verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife or jealousy. Let us behave properly. And you young people here, let me just say to you, when couples think they've fallen in love, And they say, you know, you know I love you. So let me have my way with you. That's not romantic. That's shameful. That's improper. That's not genuine love. Because it's unbecoming. And we ought to be careful that we don't use terminology like You know, that's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. Well, that's what the grace of God does. It changes you from just the way you are. Someone may say, well, I'm not rude. I just speak my mind. That may be inappropriate speech. It may be the wrong time to speak up. My conduct's important. I want to live my life void of disgrace and shame. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a matter worthy of the gospel of Christ. The believer, the believer ought to live in such a way that no matter where he is, he demonstrates that he's a citizen of the kingdom of God. My citizenship is in heaven. And that ought to be seen by the way I conduct myself. So we profess that there's dignity in every human. We pray for the grace to conduct ourselves in a way that attracts others to the gospel. Thirdly, we need to practice the golden rule. 
That's pretty simple. Practice the golden rule. I take as most of us are familiar with that, which our Lord set before us there on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want, to, you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. I need to conduct myself the way I want others to treat me. That's how I to treat others. That's how genuine love acts. It does not behave itself unseemingly. And finally, we need to portray our Savior. We need to portray our Savior. He never acted unseemingly. He always acted appropriately. And I think I have it rough when the garage doesn't take my car at the appointed time. I think I should speak up and perhaps be rude and and get into an argument. What is that compared to what our Lord went through? Isaiah tells us he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Peter tells us that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He acted appropriately. He acted perfectly. That's what made him the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. My sin is there. But blessed be God, there's forgiveness. Blessed be God that if I confess my sins, He forgives my sins. And so again, when we come to say, love does not behave itself unbecomingly. I mean, most of us were like, It's me. Now we can wallow in that. But we can go to the Savior and say, Lord, help me to to act better. Help me to be a gracious man. Forgive me. Forgive me in the midst of my pride and my selfishness when I acted in a way that was not proper. When, when When I acted in a way that that brought shame upon the Gospel and the God that I love. Forgive me. And He's ready to forgive. And then we press on. Praying that God will give us the grace to love. A love that is displayed by acting properly. Speaking properly. Appearing properly to the glory of our God. Let's pray. Father, we we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You've not left left us to ourselves to seek to understand and know what genuine love is. Father, we confess that we, we have failed miserably to love as we ought.
forgive us. Father, we pray that we might love one another better. That we might love our society, our community, the people we rub shoulders with at work and other places. That, Father, by Your grace and the work of Your Spirit in our lives, may we be a people who by our behavior, by our conduct, attract people to our God and to the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we be a people that are marked out by genuine love. May we we be a people that are marked out by holding the truth. But Father, above that, may we be a people that are marked out by love. Help us, we pray. Help us to be obedient to Your Word. And by that, attract others to the Gospel. For these things we do ask in Your Son's name. Amen. In closing, let us take our Trinity.